42, starting in verse 18. Now, as we know, sometimes when we look at a passage of Scripture, it is aimed at comfort. And other passages are aimed to shock us. Others can be more difficult to hear, can be more challenging, uh, just frankly shocking as we read them. Uh, and some pastors, they, uh, they try to make their message more shocking, right? Uh, they call them potty mouth pastors or uh, they'll, they'll add a swear here or something like that. And uh, that is so not only inappropriate, but it's so unnecessary, <laughs> It's so unnecessary. There is enough shock. There is enough um, things that, that, that strike us in that way already in Scripture. We don't need to add to it. It's already there. It's already shocking to us without having to make it more so. So why is the message of the Bible sometimes so shocking? And the answer is, because we are fools in our thinking. And not only are we fools in our thinking, but we are fools in our living. And so listen to what Romans 1 verse 21 through 22 says about our thinking. And this is the reason why when we read the Bible, sometimes we're just shocked. And we're like, what is it talking about? It can't be saying what I think it's saying. And when we say that, it probably is. <laughs> Romans 1 21 through 22. For although they knew God... They did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. When you get the, the center of reality wrong, you get everything else wrong. Everything else doesn't make sense. So if by grace you have taken the path of faith, the message is comfort, comfort, Otherwise, it is shocking and disturbing and exposes the depth of our folly. And even if we have taken the path of wisdom, the path of faith, we still act like fools sometimes. And we still struggle with the things of Scripture because we are still in this battle in this world and with our minds. And so the Scripture is still shocking, still changing us, transforming us, our minds. Perhaps the most shocking message in all of the Bible is our condition. It is very shocking to see how great of a sinner I am. <laughs> right? There's hardly anything more shocking than we realize the depth of our depravity, the depth of our sin. And there's hardly anything more shocking than to realize how much I need God. You see, I can assume this one thing, that I'm more depraved than I think I am, and I need God more than I think I do. <laughs> and that's the one reality that we will find throughout scriptures. It's hammering home. You are more depraved than you think you are. And you need God more than you think you do. Amen. And one of the reasons why you and I need to be reminded of the shocking reality of our condition is because we need to spiritually be risen out of our sleep. We need to be aroused out of our sleep. Because we are people who constantly forget how much we need God. 
So for believers, we need to be shocked sometimes. Kind of like a defibrillator, right? Isn't that what they do? They kind of shock you back into the right rhythm. Well, we need to be shocked by scriptures because we can so easily take in the world around us. And what it does is it lures us to sleep. And we cease to be on fire for the things of God. And we start to burn for the things of this world. And so we need to constantly be reminded of our condition and our need for God. And that's why we preach. And that's why we read. And that's why we, we pray. And we ask God, oh God, open my eyes up. Open my ears up. Remind me of my condition and my great need for you. When I think of a time that it's especially necessary to shock someone with the truth, I think of going to a funeral. Pretty much almost everybody who goes to a funeral goes there to be comforted, right? And you can understand why, right? You go to a funeral and you want to be comforted. They want to hear that the person that they are going to the funeral for is in a better place, right? Regardless of who they are. And they want to hear that you will see them again, right? Those are kind of like the two things that people want to be comforted with. They want to hear those things. The last thing someone wants to hear at a funeral is the reality that they're going to die as well. And now what follows death is the judgment, right? That's the last thing someone wants to hear. And it is quite shocking when you preach that. But there's absolutely nothing more important that someone needs to hear at a funeral than those two things. That's what they need to hear. Isn't it amazing that the one place where you need to hear that is the one place that's often ignored? And so people go on with their lives ignoring the reality that death is coming, that judgment is, is preceding death. At the one place when they need to hear it, no one is telling them. Isn't that amazing? The Bible says in Ecclesiastes 7 verse 2, it is better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting. And the mourning is a funeral and feasting is a party, right? For death is the destiny of everyone. The living should take this to heart. In other words, a death, a funeral, is an opportunity to take to heart the reality that we are not going to live forever. And one way we're going to die. And the most important thing that we need to consider is are we ready to stand before God and give account of ourselves before the living God? It is shocking to imagine not speaking about these things at a funeral. So almost everything about this passage is shocking. God has a shocking message for you and I, and we need to hear it. We need to hear it today. It's a shocking message of our condition. And my prayer is that God would give us ears to hear. When I am preaching, my heart and my desire, my longing is that God would open your ears. It's not me that's going to do the work. I am just a, a means to an end. God is the one who does the work. And we are here in vain unless God opens ears, unless God opens eyes to hear and to see him in his glory. So that's our prayers we begin. So the response God is calling for is shocking. I want you to recognize how shocking this is in verse 18, the first part. Hear you deaf and look, you blind that you may see. Now it's not shocking that God is calling for people to hear him and to see him. <laughs> That's not shocking at all. That's the one thing in all this world that we, sh we need to hear. 
We need to hear God and we need to see God. So there's nothing shocking about that. That makes sense. That's what we need to hear from God. If he said something else like you need to hear this person or this other person or see this other person, that would be a problem, right? We need to hear and we need to see God more than anything. So this is nothing shocking about that. That's exactly what, as it should be. And this whole passage is really God calling for that response. God is calling for, for these people to hear and to see. But what is the question that we need to ask is what in the world does it mean to hear and to see? What would it look like for us to respond to, to, the, to the call to hear and to see in a proper way? Well, to hear and to see is to believe, right? We're not talking about, about, um, about um, sounds in the ear, <laughs> We're not, we're not talking about vibrations. That's what I was looking for. We're not looking, talking about vibrations in the ear that, that come to us as sounds. We're talking about believing. We're talking about trusting. We're talking about relying. That's what it means to hear and to see. It means to see the glory and the greatness and the goodness, to delight ourselves in God, to see him as the most excellent being in the universe, to treasure him above all things. That's what it means to see. And that's what it means to hear. This will look like something as well. When we are seeing and we're hearing God, it will look like repentance, it will look like worship, and it will look like obedience. So if you wonder, am I seeing? Am I seeing? Well, ask yourselves, are you treasuring God? Are you delighting in Him? Are you repenting? Are you worshiping Him? Are you living in obedience and repenting when you are not, right? That's what it looks like to see God. Now to the shocking part. What is shocking here? The shocking part is absolutely clear. God is calling for the deaf to hear and the blind to see. And the deaf cannot hear and the blind cannot see. That's shocking. Imagine if I went up to a deaf person and said, you need to hear this. Imagine if I went up to a blind person and said, hey, see this. You need to see this. Imagine giving a, a blind and deaf person a front row seat to the Symph Boston Symphony Orchestra and telling him, this is incredible. You need to see and you need to hear this. This is incredible. It's going to be great. Well, that would make no sense, would it? But that is exactly what God does here. Deaf and blind people cannot make themselves hear and see. And yet, this is exactly what God is doing. God is commanding them to do what is impossible for them. So the question for us is, is this legitimate? Is this legitimate? Can God do this? And yes, yes, he can. Because we should hear, and we should see, and we don't see. This is not an innocent lack of hearing. This is not an innocent lack of seeing. We are culpable of this. This is our failure. This is our sinfulness. We are responsible for our blindness and are responsible for a lack of hearing. So God is right to demand and hold us responsible for what we should do. God is perfectly right and perfectly just to demand for us to do something that we cannot do. And really calling for the deaf to hear and telling the blind that they need to see is exactly what we do when we give the gospel. We are going out there and telling the blind, you need to see this, and the deaf, you need to hear this. Whenever we witness and give the gospel, wherever we go, and we're calling people to repent and believe, in other words, to see and to hear. 
The identity of the one whom God is calling deaf and blind here is also shocking. I want you to see who the blind and deaf people are in this passage. And our first clue about who the blind and deaf people are is in verse 19. Notice the blind and the deaf person is called God's servant, God's messenger, and God's dedicated one. So if this was all we had, if all we had was these titles for uh, this person or people, then we would, I would automatically think that this is talking about the servant of verses 1 through 4 in this very same chapter, right? You would think that this is the Messiah, that this is the Deliverer, that this is the Savior that it's talking about. This is the ideal, the perfect servant who is the messenger, who is the dedicated one, fulfills God's purposes, right? He is the one who restores and the one who delivers. But this cannot be the one that's being referred to here when you look at the context. It absolutely cannot be the servant of verses 1 through 4 who is the perfect ideal servant, fulfills God's purposes. Why not? Because first of all, obviously they're deaf and they're blind. Not only that, but they fail miserably in his calling. In verse 19, they fail miserably to do what they're supposed to do. And not only that, but they are depicted as plundered, looted, trapped in holes and prisons. Do you see that this cannot be the Savior because this, these people cannot save themselves. They can't deliver themselves. This is someone different than the servant of verses 1 through 4. And, and just automatically, Isaiah just switches from the one servant to, the, to this servant. Right? So who is it? And the absolute no-doubter, the slam-dunk answer to the question is found in verse 24. We are told without a doubt who the servant is. Verse 24 says, Who gave up Jacob to the looter and Israel to the plunderers. There is no doubt that the servant, the messenger, the dedicated one is Israel. It's, it's Jacob. It's Judah. It's God's people. Now what is so shocking about this is everyone would have thought that the Gentiles were blind and deaf. Everyone would have thought of the Gentiles as being the most blind and the most deaf people in the whole world. And they would have understood that. It would have been what they would have known to be true. But God's people... Blind and deaf? Now that is shocking. And that would have been a shock to the system. They thought they were the ones who could see. But God says they are the ones who are blind. Who is blind but my people? It actually says but my people. So it's almost as if they are so blind, they are blinder than everyone else. That no one else is blind in comparison to them. It's a language that's used here. Obviously, everyone else is blind. But it's almost as if he says, everybody else isn't blind in comparison to my people. Many of us are in a similar place as Israel, and we need to hear this today. This is such an important message for the church to hear. How many of us come to church every single week, and we have the vibrations in our ears of sounds going on. But we have never heard 
How many of us look at those around us and think that everyone else is blind and deaf, but I absolutely hear and I see. But the question is, do we hear and do we see? Do we really have eyes to see? Do we really have ears to hear? It is possible to be deceived. It is very possible to not see and not hear and think we can and think the world is the problem and not realize that we are in a terrible place. See, Christ saves by grace through faith alone, doesn't he? Some of us think we're saved because we prayed a prayer. You might be, but a prayer is nowhere in the Bible as the means to salvation. Christ alone saves by faith alone. That's how someone is saved. Do you have the fruit of faith in your life? Do you have repentance? Do you have worship? Do you delight in God? Do you submit to God? Those are more important than whether you pray to prayer. And the church has got to be aware of that. We need to understand that. The greatness of the degree of Israel's condition of blindness and deafness is also shocking. You can see how blind and deaf God's people are by their response to God's blessings and their response to God's chastisement upon them. And I want you to see how blind and deaf they are in this passage. So what effect should the blessings and the chastisement, the disciplines, the judgment of God have on them? Well, it should orient them towards God, shouldn't it? The blessings of God should lead us to see there's someone who gave me this blessing. Whenever we have a blessing from God, we should be thankful. It should lead us to God and to be thankful for Him and for giving it to us. Every blessing comes from God. And the judgments of God, the the, the struggles we face with, the, the fallen world around us when we groan in this world should turn us to God as the answer, right? All, everything, whether good or bad, is designed to lead us to God. It's all for our good, isn't it? All things are working together for our good. Even the fallen world is for our good because we need to be reminded of our great and desperate need for God. That's the most important position to be in, is to realize we need God, whether God takes stuff away from us or he gives us things. We need to be reminded of God. And so God blessed Israel with great privileges, didn't he? He gave them position of being his servant. But what does it say here? Because she is blind and deaf, she failed to fulfill the task. Verse 19. Who is blind but my servant, or deaf as my messenger whom I send? Who is blind as my dedicated one, or blind as the servant of the Lord? God's servant, God's messenger, God's dedicated one, failed because he could not see He was deaf, and so he could not fulfill the task that he was assigned. God also blessed Israel by giving her a view of his glory, and through the hearing of his word. What an incredible privilege. It sounds like the privilege that we have today, doesn't it, in many ways. But she could not see or hear. Verse 20 says, he sees many things but does not observe them. His ears are open, but he does not hear. What people have ever been given so much as God's people? What people have ever been given so many things outwardly to them? God performed many incredible miracles, right, in their midst. He spoke clearly to her. And sometimes we think, if only I had a miracle, 
That would make the difference, right? Then I would believe, if only I had a miracle. But Israel shows us that that's just not true, is it? The problem is not for a lack of opportunity. Despite all she has been given, she does not see and she does not hear. God has also blessed his people with a special task and mission, hasn't he? He has called his people to be involved in his saving purposes for the world. But because she was blind and deaf, she needed to be saved herself from the world. And we see that in verses 21 through 22. Think about that. She had a purpose and a design from God to to fulfill part of God's saving purposes for the world, but instead she needed to be saved. The Lord was pleased for his righteousness sake to magnify his law and make it glorious. But this is a people plundered and looted. There are all of them trapped in holes and hidden in prisons. They have become plunder with none to rescue, spoil with none to say restore. What an incredible task. God was going to use his people to bring his law, which refers to his law and his prophets, God's revelation of himself, the the fullness of God's revelation in the Old Testament is what that word refers to. God was going to use his people to magnify his name, to make his name known, to spread his, his dominion throughout the whole world, right? Jonah is one a great example of what that was to look like and how God's people responded, right? How did she do in succeeding in her task? Notice the word but here. That's a contrasting word. It's saying she was to do this, but instead this is what happened. Instead of bringing freedom to the nations, what happens? She's in prisons. She's in holes. The imprisonment is a picture of her condition because of her sin and the terribleness of it. They became plunder. Notice that they were supposed to show the glory and the greatness of God's blessings, but instead she was plundered, she was taken from. Everything was stripped away from her. To make matters worse, there was no deliverer, there's no one to restore her. The liberators needed to be liberated themselves. And Israel succeeded only in showing that she needed to be saved herself. Right? So in a roundabout way, she did succeed. (laughs) Right? She succeeded in magnifying God's great name. And God's name is always going to be magnified. So God not only blesses his servant, but also chastises her. God encircles her all around. But notice what he's encircling her with in verse 25. With fire. There's fire in front and fire in behind. And she is being consumed. But how does she respond to this? You would imagine this would wake someone up, right? There's a fire on you. You would think that would turn your eyes to God. But what does it do? She, she can't understand. She can't comprehend. She's just getting burned up. No ability to make sense of it all. She's completely deaf and completely blind. Blind to the blessings. Blind to the chastisement. What more can be done for a people? Israel is a great example of who we are. Israel is a great testimony on the stage for us to see. This is who you are. This is you and me. Moses explains Israel's response in Deuteronomy 29, verse 2 through 4, in a very helpful way. Listen to these words. And Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, You have seen all that the Lord did before your eyes in the land of Egypt. They had seen it all, right? To Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all his land. The great trials that your eyes saw, the signs and those great wonders. 
But to this day, the Lord has not given you a heart to understand or eyes to see or ears to hear. God said they saw everything, but God did not open up your eyes to see it. Is this anything like our condition? Are we any different? Are we born seeing the glory and the greatness of God? Do we have great blessings upon us today? Do we have the word of God uh, coming out of our ears everywhere? (laughs) Right? We have the word of God everywhere. We are wealthy with the word of God. We have church. We have other believers all around us. We even experience a chastening of the Lord and the fact that this world has fallen. This world is falling apart and every day we feel and experience it. But what does your response to these things say about your heart? Do you find yourself being drawn to God? Or are you deaf and are you blind to the one reality in life that matters? Finally, If you were to understand what the real problem with Israel is, you would find it to be shocking. I want you to see how, what the real problem is and how great the real problem is. And we need to understand the shocking reality of the problem that we are in today. It's not politics. It's not not social justice. That's not the primary issue here. Although those are issues, absolutely. The primary issue of each one of our hearts is much greater and much more significant. So God challenges her to think and make sense of it all. How could such a people get themselves in this condition? He wants them to connect the dots in verse 23. He says this, Who among you will give ear to this? Will attend and listen for the time to come? He's speaking about the exile. And he says, Who will attend? Who will think about this? Who will give ear to this? Who will connect the dots? Who will make sense of what's happening? You are given a front row seat to what is going on, to God's purposes and God's plans. I have spoken to you. You've seen miracles. You've been chastened. Can you connect the dots? Do you have ears to see and an eyes, ears to hear and eyes to see? And it might appear on the surface to someone that the greatest problem is Babylon, right? We look at this and we see Babylon is the great problem, right? They're going to bring them into exile. They're going to take them captive. It's like us looking around us and saying that the real problem is sickness. The real problem is my job. The real problem is my marriage. The real problem is my kids. The real problem is is I'm unhealthy. (laughs) Right? We look around us and we see all these things and we, we say that's the problem, don't we? But God says your biggest problem is much greater than the Babylonians. Your problem is God himself. Verse 24, who gave up Jacob to the looter and Israel to the plunders? Was it not the Lord? God brought the Babylonians on his people. God raised them up to act as judgment on his own people. The problem was not the looter. It was not the plunderer. It was not the exile. It was that God, they are at odds with the living God. That's the problem. They would not have a problem with any of these things if God did not raise them up. God used a secondary means to bring his judgment on his people. Our biggest problem is not disease, it's not age, not natural disasters. It's that we are at odds with God. 
So the question is, why do you have a problem with God? Why is God angry? And the answer is, God is angry, and he tells us clearly right here, and we need to understand this so badly. Because we have so many other things that we're focused on in our lives, so many other problems that we're focused on. This is the only problem in life. This is it. There are no other problems than this. God is angry at them because of their sin and rebellion against himself. Against whom we have sinned, and whose ways they would not walk, whose law they would not obey. That's verse 24, the second half. God was angry because they failed to walk in his path. They failed to acknowledge that he is Lord of their lives. They failed to walk according to his revelation. And they failed to honor and glorify and magnify his name. You see, sin is much more than just going against someone's ideas and and rules. Sins are much bigger than that. It brings us into odds with a living God. It's rebellion against his rightful and good rule and authority. It's saying that God is not great, God is not glorious, that I can be the determiner of my life and I can do my own ways and do my own thing and it can turn out pretty well. And that's a dishonoring, an attack on the living God and his greatness and his glory. Sin is not just doing bad things, but refusing to orient ourselves towards God and his rightful rule. We must repent of our sin. We must believe. We must bow to the living God if we are ever to be saved. So how does God express his anger? Verse 25. So he poured on them the heat of his anger and the might of battle. It set him on fire all around. Is it right for God to be so angry? Is it right for God to act this way? And the answer is yes, yes, yes. It would be wrong for God not to get angry over the things that he should be angry at. And to the right degree. If God did not get angry, that would be the greatest problem. If God did not get angry over the things he should get angry at. Why would a God who never gets angry be a problem? Well, it would mean that he is not righteous. That he is not a good king. That he's not a good God. That he's not a righteous ruler. It would indicate that God is not valuable. That he can be denied and he could be trampled on. And that he is not really that great. It is right and God-honoring for him to get angry at sin. And one of the problems is that I don't get angry at the right things. One of the problems is that I don't have the heart of God as I should. And that is my problem. So what was the right response to God's judgment? Did she get it? Did she respond right? Well, it says here she did not understand. It burned him up but he did not take it to heart. He would fail to learn the lesson. The question is, how do you and I know we have eyes to see? How do you and I know we have ears to hear? Well, we know we do if we recognize that our greatest problem is our sin. If we realize that our greatest problem in life is that we have rebelled against a holy and righteous God. We realize that God is holy, righteous, good, and glorious. We realize the depravity of our hearts and our wickedness. We often do not see what are the real problems as being problems, do we? There's a greater problem underneath all the other things, all the things around us than we often realize. 
And they're all pointing to that one greater problem that we have. The problem is our sin. And we cannot fix it. So sometimes we need to be shocked by this truth, don't we? Sometimes we need to see our condition right before us. If this doesn't shock us, then what will, right? And the Bible says this. The Bible says you are dead in your sins, according to Ephesians 2, verse 1. And you are dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. The Bible says you cannot please God in any way, according to Romans 8, verse 7 through 8. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You can help a lot of people. You can spend uh, millions of dollars in helping people. But before God's eyes, if you are not doing it for his honor, it is not good at all. It is self-righteous and will actually bring more judgment on your account. Not only that, but you could not do any good, according to Romans 1, or, or Romans 3, verse 12, where it says, there is none who does good, no, not one. Read Romans 1, verse 18 through 3, verse 12, and you will see, uh, you will see the, the argument after argument after argument that places everyone under the, the, under the condition of being completely sinful and dead in their sins. And that's the whole point of Romans 1, verse 18 through 3, verse 21. I challenge you to read it. There was a famous message that was preached by a man named Paul Washer. And he was giving shocking rebukes to the people he was preaching against, kind of like this passage. He was speaking shocking rebukes. And he was calling them to hear. He was calling them to see. And then the people in the, who were listening started clapping as if in agreement, and his response, response is, why are you clapping? I'm talking about you. I'm talking about you. And that's exactly what we need to hear, isn't it? The truth of our condition should serve as a warning, especially to those who go to church, especially to those who look outwardly religious, that we can be blind and deaf. And it is often those who go to church that think they are okay when they might not be. We can have the most trouble seeing the reality of our heart condition. And we can look at those around us and think that we're better than them. It should not be surprising that you can hear God's message with your ears over and over again, receive blessing after blessing from God, even chastisement, and still not see or not hear God. Because that's what it means to be deaf and blind. So what hope do we have? What hope do we have of ever seeing? What hope do we have of ever hearing what we need to hear and what we need to see? We need to see God. We need to hear God. What hope do we ever have of even recognizing that there's a problem? Well, we need a God-sized miracle. Our only hope is that God will intervene with his grace to give us sight, to give us hearing. This is a miracle when, when the words that are spoken and they're vibrating in our ears, when the Holy Spirit enlivens our hearts to hear those words, that is a miracle that goes on. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. That's a miracle. That's a miracle. We don't make ourselves new creations. This is what St. Augustine prayed. Listen to this prayer. God, command what you will and grant what you command. He says, God, command me to do what you will, but grant to me what you command as well. 
so that I can do it. Paul in 2 Corinthians 4 verse 6 says this very same thing. Listen to these words that Paul says. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, that's the creation of the world. God is the creator of all things, right? And then it says, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That's the transforming work of the gospel when for the first time we have eyes to see and ears to hear the wondrous greatness and glory of God where before we had no sense of him and no desire for him and no love for him and no repentance in our heart. If we don't have time, but if you read Isaiah 2 verse 1 through 4, you will see how the servant, the Messiah, is the one who causes all the nations to stream up to hear from the word of God. He is the one who is faithful to what Israel could not do. God is faithful. And he brings the nations to hear his word. He is the revelation of God to whom all the nations come to hear and see. So if God did not raise the dead through preaching, then what are we doing here? This would be a waste of time. You know, the best thing you can describe of what we're doing is going to a graveyard and preaching and expecting people to be raised from the dead. If God was not working through his word by the power of his spirit, then we would be wasting our time and there would be no use for what we're doing. It would be vanity. But it is like preaching to a graveyard when we're preaching to unbelievers. We're preaching to a graveyard and we expect and, 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 and we know that God is going to raise people to life. And it is through his preaching that we've been commanded to do. We've been commanded to go out and preach his word. And trust that God is going to bring life through it. That's what it means to be faithful to him. So do not be discouraged this week. Do not be discouraged as you go out. Do not be discouraged to preach God everywhere you go. Because God is going to raise up people. And he has called us to go out and preach his word. Let us be faithful to what God has called us to do. Otherwise, it would be in vain. It would be in vain if God did not raise people from the dead. You know, some people think people are drowning in the water and they need life preservers to get them. You know, they're they're sitting there waiting for something to be thrown to them. That's not the biblical description at all. We are dead at the bottom of the sea. And we need God to raise people to life. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. And understanding our condition makes us completely dependent on God for anything of eternal value. If anything is to happen here this morning, it must be of God. If anything is to happen throughout our lives, it must be of God. This should drive us as a church to our knees. There's nothing that drives us to our knees than the realization of our condition before God. And I pray that this church hears and sees the truth of God's word so that we are a people who pray. And we are a people who evangelize because we trust that God is going to do a mighty work. What is amazing is that God has opened our eyes and ears. Be thankful, church, so that we, through Jesus, might make known his word, the reflection of his glory, that we might make known the revelation of God to the world and fulfill what God has called his people to do. Listen to 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. What an awesome calling God has given to us. Praise God that he has opened up our eyes so that we can be the people who glorify God, who bring his law, his revelation, his word to the world, that there is a Savior and he is Jesus Christ. And that is what we are called to do. Let us be faithful this week in what God has called us to. Let's pray. Dear Father, Lord, thank you so much for your word. 
Thank you so much for your truth, God. Thank you, Lord, that we were blind, that we were deaf, Lord, that we loved a lot of things. We loved everything but you. Lord, forgive us, God. And I thank you that you do forgive. I thank you that you are gracious. I thank you that you're mighty to heal. I thank you that you bring life to the dead. Well, I thank you that you bring hearing to those who cannot hear and eyes to those who cannot see. And I pray that you would do that even right now, Lord. That you would show people in this room who cannot see, Lord, the reality and the glory and the greatness of who you are. Lord, may you do a miracle and a mighty work and may there be a crying out to God to save us from our sins. May we see the reality of our condition and may we not um, go another moment, Lord, in such a terrible condition and place. And Lord, I pray that you would save today. Lord, I pray for the believers in this room. I pray that you would strengthen us. Lord, cause us to see you more clearly. Cause us to love you as, as with eyes that are clear and with ears that are clear. Help us to see you in all your glory and help us to make you known to the world as you have called us to do. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.